Welcome to Multifamily AP 360, the show where we discuss 360-degree views on mindset, passive, and active multifamily investment. If you're looking for tips and strategies, or just want to learn from the experiences of others, both good and bad, then listen on. This is Multifamily AP 360 with your host, Ramakrishna Chunchu. Today's our guest is Matt Four from Next Level Income. Welcome, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Going good, Matt. How about you? Fantastic. Fantastic. Awesome. Awesome. Little bit about Matt. Matt is a real estate investor based out of Nashville, Tennessee. In his professional career, he has spent over a decade in sales and sales leadership positions at one of the largest technology companies in the world. After finding real estate, Matt was able to achieve financial independence in three short years by the age of 32. Today, Matt has invested in 750 plus multifamily units, car washes, and various real estate debt. When he is not working, he enjoys reading, training for Ironman triathlons, and convincing his brother that he's the favorite twin. So is that Matt? So you want to add anything? No, I'm glad you put that last part in there. So I'm going to send it to my twin brother later today so he can uh, he can listen and know that I'm the favorite. <laughs> okay, cool. So how Ironman triathlons made Matt a better investor? Yeah, so um, for your listeners out there that might not know what an Ironman triathlon is, it is a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike, a 26.2-mile run. Yes, it's all in a single day. Yes, it's all in a single event. Um, I got started into Ironman triathlons in 2014, and there's a lot of lessons I've learned from personal life, career life, investing, all those sorts of things. But really, I think when I think about Ironman, what it really taught me was this idea of clarity and clarity around, hey, I know I've got this long-term goal. What are the things I can do every single day that move me towards my goal? And I always like to say, if you miss a workout in Ironman triathlon, there's no two workouts you can do that's going to make up for that. So it really taught me this idea of consistency that will compound over a long term. So happy to take that wherever you want to take it, but um, really around clarity of setting a goal and then the consistent actions to get there. Okay, got it. So how exactly the clarity part you are implementing into real estate or multifamily space? Yeah, so I equate it to, I'll give you two financial examples. So if you know that you want to be financially free, then you have to do a small task every day that's going to help you get there. So when I first started, it was as small as just reviewing my expenses every day. So I signed up for a personal capital account. There's other accounts out there. Like I think Mint has one, QuickBooks have one, et cetera. And I just started logging my expenses. Where is my money going? And then I started directing it where it should go, not asking it where it's been. So something as small as, hey, I'm going to log onto my bank account every day and move $5 into my savings account. That might not seem like a lot of work or a lot that will take you towards your goal, but that $5 starts compounding. And then that compounding starts compounding again. Another example is, hey, if you want to get involved in real estate, you know that you need to start making some connections. So maybe it's just calling someone that's a broker or in real estate every single day, connecting with someone on LinkedIn and letting them know what you do, talking to your friends every day and just one friend and letting them know what you do. And again, one connection is never going to make or break you, but you're one connection away from that next big leap. So I think making those small incremental steps will will lead you to future success. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Small step, small activity every day that will compound and it will, you know, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. 
So we have spent over a decade on sales and sales leadership positions. Share me a little bit more about that. What are the lessons and best practices you have learned from that? Sure. I'll take it at a couple of different parts. So um, like you mentioned, I've spent over a decade in sales and sales leaderships at some of the largest technology companies in the world. And why I love sales is because I had a VP tell me one time, if you want to raise, then you can go earn one every single year. It, you're, it's, there's no other job I found out there that you can connect your income to your work ethic. And I just love that. And I love competing. Um, however, I got involved in real estate um, because when back in 2016, I was supposed to receive a life-changing commission check from a huge deal that we did. It was a $10 million deal. It was a net new logo. My eyes were big on this commission check that I was going to get. And I started calling around like, what should I even do with this commission check? And I had a friend at the time who was like, you should look into real estate, you get appreciation, tax benefits, cash flow, just a nice place to park your cash and smooth out the lumpy income checks that you're going to get from commissions of ups and downs and ups and downs. Well, then I got the faithful call from my VP at the time. And I want to clarify, this is not a company I work for today, but they said, hey, Matt, you're not going to get that commission check. You're only going to get two cents on the dollar. And it was at that point where I realized like, hey, I need to I need to take my financial future into my own hands or else I'll always be told how much money I can make. Um, so there's a lot of lessons I think I've learned from that. One is how to set a target. And again, go going back to the Ironman, setting those little consistent goals. Um, but also that good months are really good. And when you're good and you're you're feeling the highs and the tailwinds that we've experienced over the past two or three years here, specifically in investing, then it's easy to get complacent. You always got to be remembering that the down there's a downside to that. And when you're down, it's hard to get back up again. So when you're always good, be searching for your next deal, putting in the work and making sure that you can maintain a level of success and not just writing the success that you're already having. Cool. Great, great, great things. So any skills from no sales uh, side is translating into multifamily space? Yeah, I think... Um, what two things I would say is learning how to adapt with different groups of folks. So um, I've covered territories from Florida uh, and South Florida and all the way to West Virginia and Ohio. And those are definitely two different demographics out there. But you're learning how to adapt, find commonality, listen for problems and try to solve those problems. And that's no different than if you're investing in real estate, if you're out there hunting for deals you're looking to adapt to the seller. What does the seller need? What's a prioritization for them? And then how do you creatively structure an offer so that you might not have the highest and best price, but that you're giving them flexibility or terms that they want? So I know we're coming to the end of the year as we're recording this. Some sellers out there don't want to sell in this year because of capital gains, taxes, and things like that. They'd rather sell it next year and have a year to figure out what to do with the tax problem. Some sellers need to close by the end of the year. We're going through a close right now that will close on December 30th. And we're trying to help our investors. Like They're going to get a check uh, from a former property on December 30th. What do you do with that? Because you don't want to pay tax on that. You want to minimize your tax benefits. How do you structure something to where they can avoid their capital gains that they've had this year? So again, that, that's a very specific example. I think it comes back to trying to find problems, adapt to the person that's trying to solve that, have that problem solved, and then show them different ways that you're the best way to solve that problem. Awesome. Awesome. So and let's shift towards our personal situation. How losing your sister inspired 
you to become an investor? Yeah. So um, in 2018, I uh, tragically lost my sister um, and it happened in the middle of the night. And what made that worse is my sister was mentally disabled um, and she was 39 at the time. And uh, it happened at my parents' house. And it was the first big loss that I had had personally. I'd always had friends that had passed. I'd always had um, friends that had family members that had passed, but it never really affected me. And when you grow up with somebody with mental disabilities, you become very grateful for the little things that you have in life, the ability to tie your shoe, the ability to make your own food, things like that. And the things that we take for granted um, are difficult for other people. So I think one, it made me more grateful for the little things. Every morning I wake up and I uh, have my little mantras and meditations that I say. And one of the things is that I'm just thankful that I'm healthy, wealthy, and have the uh, level of that I have in my life. So one, making me very grateful, but then two, never forgetting that can all be taken away faster than you realize. I was reminiscing with some colleagues earlier this morning, and we had a friend that had brain cancer and died within like four weeks of finding out. Had kids, family, good career, healthy, um, and it was taken from him within four weeks. So it just put into motion this idea of if you want to achieve the things that you want in your life, don't wait until you're 65 and retire because chances are those experiences won't be as good then or you might not have the opportunity to. So be grateful for the things that you have. And if, you, if there's something you want to achieve in your life, there's no better time to start than now. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. We need to be grateful for what we have. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And share me your four methods. So how exactly that you're implementing implementing into investment side? Yeah, this kind of goes back to the um, the Iron Man piece of it, right? So this was a method that I or framework I I developed to help people understand what sort of investments they were looking at. So when I let people know that I was doing real estate, people would throw me deals all the time, whether it be in crypto or private equity or real estate, and say, "Should I invest in this?" And my first thing was well, what is this investment? And what I found is most people didn't understand what the investment was. So the four method is a way that you can understand any investment. And I'll just kind of break it down. It's financial liquidity, ownership, returns, and then effort. So if you're all right with it, I'll just kind of go through each one of those. Sure, sure. Yeah. So the first is financial liquidity. And I want to clarify that just because someone's something is liquid or illiquid doesn't mean it's a good investment. It just means you need to understand how liquid is this investment? Do I have any big expenses in the next year to five years where I will need to take this cash and move it to that? Whether it's a vacation, college fund, getting married, those sorts of things. So the first thing you need to ask is, how fast can I sell this asset at market rate, not at a distressed state, and get my money back? And in real estate, usually it's not very liquid. It's an illiquid investment. But what I found is that's normally pretty good for people because if they have access to money, chances are that we want to spend that money. The second is really what's your ownership stake in this asset? Are you the debt or are you the equity? And the debt may be a little bit less risky, but you're not going to get as great returns. The equity is a little bit more risky, but your chances are you have a higher upside. I'm not here to tell you that debt is better than equity or equity is better than debt. I'm just saying you need to understand what is your ownership stake in this asset. The third is the returns. So when I think about returns, it's when am I going to get paid? How frequent am I going to get paid? And then how much am I going to get paid? And I think when I think about returns, there's two different parts of it. There's return of your capital, and then there's return on your capital. 
return of your capital is like a mortgage. You're getting a little bit of principal and interest back every single month for a fixed number of time. Return on your capital is saying, I'm going to get my capital back and then a return on it. Um, so I think first and foremost, we want to protect our capital when I'm investing. So that's what I look at first. And then the last is the most important. And the thing I don't think we talk enough about in the financial space is what is your level of effort in this asset to make it successful? So I see all the time people are saying, well, I can get so much better return if I'm an active investor versus a passive investor. That's great. But for me personally, I've got Ironman, I've got podcasts, I've got work, I've got real estate investment, and then I've got whole family life that I'm trying to juggle as well. I'm okay sacrificing a little bit of return knowing that I can be passive in investment. So the last thing you need to ask yourself is, do I want to be active? Do I want to be passive? And what, where can I be more intentional in my life? So again, last, uh, just to run through them, financial liquidity. What's the liquidity of this asset? Two, ownership. What's the ownership stake I have in this asset? Three is returns. What are the returns am I going to get? And then last is what is the effort I need to put in this asset to be successful? Awesome. And would you share your framework for how to judge a no, uh, if an investment is a good investment or bad investment. Yeah, so that's how you judge any investment, right? So four criteria. Now you need to ask yourself, is this a good investment for me to invest? And I would encourage everybody to have a general framework around what they think a good investment looks like to them. For me, I prioritize cash flow. For other people, they might prioritize tax benefits. For others, they're willing to put a little bit of money, not see it for a long time, but hope that it gets an astronomical return on the back end. So when I'm thinking about like, how do you set a framework for financial um, success or what good looks like? It's what's the yield? What's the equity? What are the tax benefits? And is this an inflation hedge? So I call it the, the Yeti method. So four method kind of helps you understand investment. The Yeti method helps you understand and set criteria around what a good investment looks like to you. Cool. Thank you. So what markets are you focusing on? What's your investment criteria, Matt? I live in the Southeast. I've always lived in the Southeast. And that's the market I typically play in. I don't even opportunistically look at things outside of the Southeast. I do have an asset over in Iowa that I kind of stumbled upon and it was too good to pass up. But I focus on the Southeast. A number of different reasons for that. I think demographics are in good condition there. The economic climate is in a good condition there. The uh, weather climate <laughs> typically is a little bit more favorable than the Northeast. So that's the market I typically play in is in the Southeast. Okay, got it. Thank you. So would you share a little bit more about, you know, underwriting Panda if you're from passive investors, you know, aspect? Yeah, I think, um, so I spent a majority of my investment career being a passive investor. And so when I try to look at deals that meet my Yeti criteria or my criteria that I've set for success, the next thing I do is move it into an underwriting stage. And at the underwriting stage, I'm really looking at three things. What is the team? What is the market? And then what is the business structure or business plan? So when I'm looking at the team, what I want to see is, has this team worked together in the past? We've been through a remarkable 12-year 14-year bull market here. And now it seems like things are getting a little choppy as we enter 2023 here. And when choppy times happen, you want to know that that team has been through some difficult times together. 
Most marriages fail. I think it's like 50% of marriages end in divorce. Most businesses fail because of relationships with inside the business. So I want to know, has this team done a deal together? Have they gone full cycle on a deal together? If it's a rehab project, have they worked with this contractor before? If it's a property management where they're just going to turn over to a property management, have they worked with that property management before? The second thing I look at is the market. So I love the Southeast because of a lot of people moving here and the economic conditions. But you want to see, is the market growing in jobs? Is it growing in population? Is it growing in income? And more importantly, what are those driving factors? And on my podcast, I tend to over-index on the Boise bashing, and I'm not a Boise basher out there. But Boise, Idaho is the perfect example of what I like to say has happened over the past two years. A lot of people who moved from California to Boise, Idaho are now being called back into the office, whether they're Twitter employees, Apple employees, or um, some other company uh, out there. So Boise, while they got a lot of growth over the past two years, it wasn't native growth. It was driven by external factors that now all of a sudden there's no job sustainability. Now I'll turn that and say like Nashville, where I live, and obviously I'm going to be a fan favorite of this market, but Amazon is moving 50,000 jobs here. Alliance Bernstein moved uh, something like 10,000 jobs here at the beginning of the year. Bridgestone made their corporate headquarters here. Google is building a data center right outside of Nashville. So there's a lot of native reasons why Nashville is growing. And then the last is the structure of the business plan. Again, we talked about debt and equity. So are you the debt in this sort of investment or is there um, an equity participation in it? But I also want to know if I'm an equity participant, what's the debt structure? Is it fixed? Is it floating? Is it agency? Is it MES? Is it bridge debt? What's the length of the term, the LTV, all those sorts of things? And then understand the business development, uh, business plan side of it. Is it development? Is it value add? Is it a turnkey? And more importantly, going back to team, has that team run that play before? A development deal looks way different than a uh, turnkey lease up strategy. Awesome. Awesome. Good, good criteria. And would you also share one or two red flags from passive investors point of view? Yeah, I um, <laughs> I'm laughing because... I run a background check on on folks that I invest with. And I've seen in the past where people get a little squeamish when you ask them if you can run a background check. I mean, I get it. I don't want my social security number floating all over the internet, especially to random folks out there. But you need to know, like, are there fraud? Is there fraud there? Is there any sorts of red flags that you need to look for there? So I think that's a first question I typically ask. The second thing is, hey, can you give me a list of referrals that I can call and then what I ask is, what are they going to say is your experience with them? And what I try to do then is match that with what they actually say. If those two are way off, then that's a big red flag. If they're too close, if they're right in line, then that might be a red flag that they came back around into their referral. So I think it really comes down to due diligence and um, making sure that you're doing your proper due diligence. And if anybody gets hesitation during that process, then that's a pretty big red flag. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. So would you share any of your best investing experience so far? Um, I'll take you down two different routes here. But the first one is I, um, when I was on the single family side, being an active real estate investor, I found a phenomenal Burr property here in Nashville that was right around the corner from where I lived. And I knew that this area of Nashville was underdeveloped and it had it'd been, it'd been breezed over and was going to come back to it. So I was able to um, find this property for $80,000. I borrowed $80,000 from a friend and said I would give them $10,000 back. We wrote a contract, obviously, that I would give them $10,000 back. 
So $90,000 within a year. I went in and pumped $20,000 into that property for 110 and a year later pulled out $115,000. So if your listeners are doing some math here, I had 110 in the property. I pulled out 115, so I got paid $5,000. And that deal to this day still cash flows $500 a month after I pay property expenses, set aside some money for maintenance and pay a property manager. And instead of 115 that I cashed out of it, it's worth 275. And all that happened within the past four years. So I would say that's by far my best investment. But as I've continued to grow and focus on my relationships and my personal life and my family life and things like that, I'd say being a passive investor is one of the best things I've ever come across because it I didn't realize how much stress I was carrying subconsciously with me being an active investor. And it sure is nice on the 15th of every month to see a big lumpy check come into your bank account, knowing that you didn't have to deal with the tenants, the toilets, the repairs, and all those sorts of things. Cool. Awesome. Um, would you also share any challenging or worst experience? Um, I'll take you back to that, Burr, and say that it was one of it was the worst experience I've had trying to get a tenant out because it happened right around COVID time as well. And so we had a tenant who wasn't paying, who was a family member of the former owner, all while <laughs> COVID was going on. Um, and I tried to do a little bit of the um, eviction myself. And I quickly realized that that wasn't the person I am and that there is a pretty cut and dry process that you need to go through with that. So um, just a word of caution for anybody that says this is a great property because it already has a tenant in it. Just do a little bit of digging there because there might be some red flags that you might not be aware of. Yeah, yeah, got it. So what is your current focus? What are you planning next 12 to 18 months? Yeah. So the next 12 to 18 months, I look, I'm still very bullish on real estate. Um, I think the only time you get in trouble with real estate is if you shorten the amount of time you can hold a property. And what I guess I'm trying to say without saying it is, I can tell you for sure that all real estate goes up into the right. I just can't tell you how long it's going to take until it gets there. So we are still a net buyer of real estate. We think that there's going to be some opportunities for... Um, Deals that were structured in 2017 to 2019 with some high leverage bridge debt uh, interest only payments that we'll be able to gobble up. Um, but we'll still continue to focus on our, our main core assets, which I think we were chatting about before. Multifamily, self-storage and car washes tend to be great assets that we're seeing um, great returns and great tax benefits for in the Southeast. And we'll continue to focus there. Cool. Cool. Thank you. And any, any personal habits that are helping you to be successful? Yeah, um, a lot. I I tend to be a person of routine. Um, and what I have learned about myself over the past five years is that if I get out of a routine, um, it throws me way off balance. So this morning, I had to uh, rush down 45 minutes away to grab a breakfast meeting and then grab a lunch meeting. And it just threw my schedule all out of whack. So I guess um, my my best personal hacks are really around setting my morning routine and making sure that I nailed that. So there's a saying out there, if you want to win the year, win the quarter. If you want to win the quarter, win the month. If you want to win the month, win the day. If you want to win the day, you got to win the morning. So I'm a big stickler on my morning routine. But also, I think physical fitness is one of the greatest hacks you can ever have because it's it's one of the only activities I feel like you can see a difference in yourself the more you invest in yourself. So whether that's 
a five minute walk every day, a 10 minute walk every day, or doing some of the crazy stuff that I do. I think the activity of being um, physically active helps with your brain flow, helps with your routine, and you can start to physically see a difference in yourself, gives you some confidence to continue to move forward too. Cool, good. So share me any one personal learning or personal, any decision that you took that impacted your life positively. Yeah, um, I'm going to go back to the sister only because I, one thing that I failed to tell during those stories is six months before my father had triple bypass surgery as well. So um, when you're in the thick of the moment, you really don't think about it. Father has triple bypass surgery, your sister passes away, that sort of thing. But it really kind of reshaped the way I view my life and the things that I want to achieve. So the one thing I took away from that more than anything is be where your feet are and be really intentional with where you are. And um, it's something that I'm I'm still working on, but that means don't have your phone out when you're with your people that you love. Don't be thinking about the other activities. Those problems will still be there when you're done. Just be intentional with the people that you're with and, and be where your feet are planted. Cool, cool. Any books that impacted your life? Um, I always say this book, uh, The Last Lecture. It might not be known too well. Do you, have you read The Last Lecture? Do you know? No, no. no? Um, so The Last Lecture, in short, was written by Dr. Randy Posh. Dr. Randy Posh was a computer engineer in Car Carnegie Mellon. And when you're in academia, you give something called a last lecture, which is basically like, here's what I learned through my career. Remember this funny story. Ha 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 take these lessons and move forward because this is my last lecture. And so Randy Posh, Dr. Randy Posh is giving his last lecture. But what he doesn't tell you is that he's actually giving it for his kids because at the age of 37, he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and he's going to die. And he does end up passing away, but he writes this remarkable book and tells these remarkable stories about, don't feel sorry for me because I got to achieve everything I wanted to achieve. I got to go into space. I was an Imagineer at Disney. I got to teach and help with robotics and AI at Carnegie Mellon, one of the prestigious universities out there. He just tells these great stories along the way of little quips that you can keep with you in your back pocket as you go through your life. So highly encourage people go listen to uh, or, or read the last lecture. But if you're not a reader, he gives the last lecture uh, on YouTube. It's about an hour and 10 minutes long, and it's phenomenal. It'll make you laugh. It'll make you cry. and It'll leave you inspired. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And how can listeners can connect with you, Matt? Yeah, sure. So uh, a couple of different ways. So I host a podcast called Ice Cream with Investors, uh, where we bring on different people from the real estate market and all sorts of industries and all sorts of niches to learn kind of what's their scoop on what they do in real estate. So you can check us out on Ice Cream with Investors on any podcast app out there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. I'm Matt Four, based out of Nashville. That's usually the best place to... Um, reach out to me, or you can send me an email at matt at nextlevelincome.com, all one word. Awesome. Thank you very much, Matt. Thank you for sharing your journey and real estate investing experience. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Sure. That's the end of this episode of Multifamily AP 360, but we'd love to continue to help you on your journey. Head to ushacapital.com slash podcast to join our email list for more tips and strategies. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. This is Multifamily AP 360 with Ramakrishna Chunchu. We'll see you next time.